Great to see you guys today. Welcome to part three of our series, How to Feed Your Demon. If you are joining us today for the first time in this series, this is not a marriage series. I'm just waiting for it to kind of, some of you will get it, some of you won't. Anyway, it's not a marriage series. Uh, please drop by our YouTube channel and listen to the first two parts. Uh, doing so will answer questions and provide context to what we are doing. Now, when I refer to demons in this series, I mean them metaphorically, symbolically. I'm referring to negative emotions, behaviors, addictions. I mean fear, anxiety, depression, anger, lust, envy. I mean things eating at us on the inside, keeping us up at night, worrying us, embarrassing us, humiliating us, keeping us under, pushing us over. I'm not referring to disembodied spiritual beings possessing uh, us and requiring an exorcist. However, that might actually help a few people I know, but that's not what this series is about. We are going where we're going in this series, and if you've been with us, you kind of already know, so that just the first couple minutes here is to kind of catch everybody else up who might be joining us or watching us for the first time. What we're doing in this series is the best I can to expose a few quote-unquote demons in our life. We're pulling back the curtains and revealing what's going on behind the scenes, uh, kind of ripping off the, the masks, if you will, looking at what's underneath it, learning how to feed those demons rather than fight those demons. And this is critical. I've put this up each week because it kind of gives a little foundation of what we're talking about. For most of us, what we think is a scary, hostile, ugly, powerful demon is the part of us that needs to be fed we need healing and wholeness, not necessarily a priest with a crucifix. Now, you get that if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks because we've explained it. Can't go there all today and re-explain everything. But here's, here's what we've covered so far. How do you feed it? How do you deal with those things inside of you and bring healing and bring a sense of, uh, of um, wholeness and health to your life? Well, step one, we said you got to take a personal inventory of your life. And we looked at Haggai 1, 5 through 6, and one phrase out of that says, take a good, hard look at your life. And if you're with us in part one, I provided you at the end with 13 questions, very self-reflective questions that you can walk through slowly that will help you take an inventory of your life, an inventory of your character, your heart, your motives, kind of where you are spiritually, all those different things. Then last week, we gave you step two, which is refuse to remain the same. And we looked at, we took a look at two men in scripture. One in Mark 5, who was living in a graveyard, chained up because of a bunch of demons inside him were torturing him. And another man in John 5, who was paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus came up to him and made the famous comment, do you want to be well? So we've got to make a decision in our life. You know what? I'm not going to stay here I refuse to remain the same. So once you take a personal inventory of your life, you check out who you really are, you lift the mask up, you look in the mirror, you see what the truth is about yourself, and then also you say, you know what, I'm not staying here. I am not going to remain where I am. I'm going to get up and move forward. Now today we're going to move into step three, and hopefully you've got your, your thinking caps on, you've got your eyes open, your ears open, because I'm going to give you a lot of information here. And we're going we're gonna to go for it. Here's step three that I'm going to give you. Pursue wholeness. Pursue wholeness. Have you ever wondered how we ended up here? I mean, humankind in general. 
we're constantly at war. I mean, out of the history of the United States, I was looking at this this past week, we've only had a handful of years when we're not, we've not been at war in the entire history of the United States. In fact, we've lost millions on battlefields, not only here, but around our world. Our education system is confused. We're $31 trillion in debt. $31 trillion in debt. We'll never climb out of it. Our economy is weakening. Drugs are in every neighborhood, choking the life out of beautiful teenagers and young adults. We are obsessed with sex. The human body is cheaper today than ever. Mental illness keeps rising. We don't have enough therapists to take care of the mental health crisis in our nation and around our world. The church is shoved to the background in the lives of most students. More people are claiming atheism today than ever. Marriages are cracking and falling apart. Rent is skyrocketing. So is fuel. So is food. Fewer kids and teens are dreaming big dreams beyond being TikTok famous or a gamer, and that's about all they seem to want anymore. So how did we get here? Well, let's bring it down from the world kind of to you. How did you get here? I mean, how, how, did, how did you journey from your wedding to divorce court, from your college degree to unemployment, from a desire for true intimacy with your husband or wife to an addiction to sex on a computer screen? How'd you get here? From your dreams of owning your own company to a bottle of gin, from I do and I will to get out of my face, I will never. How'd you get here? Well, let's, let's not talk about you. Let's make it even more personal. Let's, let's talk about me. How did I get here? I sat this past week and just kind of worked my way through some of this. And I thought, how, how did I get here? I mean, I wonder. I, I do. How did I become wounded, disappointed, anxiety-ridden for years, even as a pastor in ministry? How, how did I become so cynical, doubtful? How is it possible to preach faith and hope and feel defeated and hopeless at the same time? How can I be so schooled on the power of joy and yet depressed? How did I live for so many seasons of my life riddled with bad moods, anger, and uncontrolled thoughts? How? I mean, that's an interesting question. Here, here's what I know about every person making up our nation, every person making up our world. Here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. Every person has a lighted side and a shadowed side, every person. And we do what we can to present to others our lighted sides, and we do whatever we can to keep the shadowed sides out of view. And before we go any further, know this, you are not an exception, nor am I. No one is exempt from this. You and I are capable of beautiful, loving, kind, and gracious acts, and you and I are capable of horrendous and depraved deeds. It's possible the people you look down on and the people you judge harshly simply reveal publicly what you keep hidden. So be very careful when you levy judgment on someone else. Now, here, here's what I want to do. I want to go back to the beginning. We're going to take a trip back in time, okay? 
I want to go back to the beginning when light and darkness were first divided. Genesis 1 through 3. I'm not going to read those three chapters. I'm just going to highlight a few things to set this message up today. And you've got to listen very carefully and kind of process and think with me as we move through this. And then you'll see exactly where we're headed. Tucked inside this ancient garden are the roots of each of us. Hidden within what comes across as myth and legend and the stuff of fairy tales, talking serpents, magic trees, poisonous fruits. In that story, we find our story. The story of humanity, your story, my story, our story, and the answer to the question, how did we get here? How did we journey to where we are today? When humans first emerged, they were made in the image and likeness of God. They were whole. You know what wholeness implies? Wholeness implies completeness, oneness, unity, mind, body, and soul integrated all parts together. Both Adam and Eve were complete and whole, two separate beings, entirely unified, fully vulnerable, no shame, no guilt, naked. And that is not making a sexual statement. Naked has become sexual, but it was not at the beginning. That was not what was implied in that statement. Naked meant uncovered, revealed, exposed, truth, nothing hidden, no shadows. We do not know how long this period of complete vulnerability and innocence lasted. It could have lasted for centuries. We have no idea. But eventually something happened. They, and they represent us, began living fragmented, ruptured, split lives. The opposite of wholeness. Something occurred causing them to hide, to cover, to run, to feel shame, to judge themselves, shame each other, and criticize God. And what happened crossed over into the DNA of humanity. And today, for the same reasons, we hide, we cover, we protect the shadowed part of ourselves. What happened? The story reveals, if you read it very carefully, I'm going to do the best I can to just kind of give you some highlights here. The story reveals a conversation happening between Eve and a charming being referred to as a serpent. Now, we don't know the details of this story. We don't know the ins and outs. We don't know exactly what's literal, what isn't. We just know that this is the way the story is presented to us so that we can wrap our minds around this and understand it to the best of our ability. There's a conversation that happens. God had given Adam and Eve run, free run of the entire region. Eat anything, go anywhere, enjoy one another. Only one thing you must not do, eat, and this is so interesting, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. One day, the cunning, charming, golden-tongued serpent spoke with Eve and said, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 says, the woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and the tree would provide wisdom 
So she took some of the fruit and she ate it and also gave some to her husband and he was with her and he ate it, verse 7. Then they both saw clearly and knew. They saw and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. Verse 8, during the days, cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. The man and his wife hid themselves. They hid themselves for the very first time. They hid themselves. They had never hid themselves before, but something happened, ruptured something. Now there's shadows. Now there's division. They hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. Where are them? In the middle of the garden's trees is darkness, shade, shadows. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And the man replied for the first time in the history of humanity, I heard your sound in the garden. For the first time in the history of humanity, I was afraid. Because I was naked, I was revealed, I was exposed. There was no cover for me. Didn't bother him before, but now it bothers him. I was naked and I hid myself. Folks, here is where the shadows emerged. Here is where humanity divided into multiple parts. Here is where masks were made, where compartments were formed. Here is where fig leaves were fashioned. Why? Because they took it, and this is so important that we understand this and understand this from the story, because they took it upon themselves to determine right from wrong, good from evil. In essence, they excluded God. They said to God, we don't need you anymore to tell us what is right and wrong. We can determine what is right and wrong by ourselves. We have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We now know what is good. We now know what is evil. We can judge ourselves without you. We can judge one another without you. In fact, we are even judging you. But humanity couldn't manage the tension between good and evil. We didn't have the ability to do that. We didn't know enough. We could only judge what we see on the outside, not the heart. God sees on the heart, we see on the outside. Not the intentions of someone's heart, not the motives of someone. Because we didn't have the true ability to see the heart and the intentions of people, we humans just began to second guess one another. We began to hide from one another. We began to fear the worst and protect ourselves. That's the very thing God didn't want to happen. It's the very thing we started doing anyway. When we chose to divide the light from the darkness, which is very interesting because that is what only God can do and what God did in Genesis 1-4. It says that he divided the light from the darkness. Now humans are trying to divide light from darkness, good from evil. They're trying to determine what is righteous and what isn't, what is sinful, what is not. Only God can do that. And when humans begin to become like God in that sense, they begin to break down everything. And so we humans create a myriad of categories to put people into. We now have good people. We have what we determine is bad people. We have okay people. We have wonderful people. We have pretty good people. We have ugly people. We have beautiful people. We have mean people. We have loving people. We, from that moment to this moment, have been drawing lines and putting people into categories, creating levels, accepting some people, rejecting other people, and this is where image management is born. We have a light side that we show other people, and we have a shadowed side that we keep hidden. So what is our shadow? side. 
One author, blogger, mystic put it this way, and I love this definition of the shadow side. The shadow is the place where everything we have forgotten, denied, rejected, or not yet discovered goes to live. It's the hidden parts of us. It's the parts we don't understand. It's the parts wounded as a child. The trauma never healed. The questions never answered. The anger never addressed. The unforgiveness, the frustrations, the irritations, the sexual desires unfulfilled and misunderstood, the broken self-esteem, the lies we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about other people, the racist thoughts, the diverted dreams, on and on. We shove it all into the shadow side and keep it hidden from view. But we keep trying to sort through what is good and what is evil. And when we do, we typically set these unrealistic standards and we attempt to live up to them because we're afraid of the shadowed side. So we do everything we can to live righteous and live right in front of people. We think we know best and religion gets in the center of it all and messes it up. You want to learn something interesting? Yes, 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 we do, Scott. Many of us entered religion to piece ourselves back together. Because we knew we were fragmented creatures, so we asked Jesus into our hearts, we got baptized, we joined the church, we received communion, hopeful that these things would put us back together. And true faith, hear me very well, true faith, genuine spiritual health, authentic spiritual awakening, an encounter with Christ will put us back together. Absolutely, it will. Over time, it will do that. But most of us encountered stale religion. And the problem with stale religion is it continues to pick and eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it complicates the problem. It does so by defining for you what is good and evil. It does so by teaching you to repress your shadow side, deny what's going on inside you, get more religious, and these bad desires won't take over. And it's just a matter of time, though, because fragmented living, unless you're whole, and that's what we're going to talk about in a minute, fragmented living, split living, incoherent living eventually breaks down everything. You see, listen, let me make it real practical, okay? It's your lighted side that attracted your wife. But it was your shadowed side that led to the divorce. It was your lighted side that got you the job. It's your shadow side that keeps causing you to get fired. It's your lighted side that won over the new friend. It's your shadowed side that caused you to betray her. It's your lighted side that makes people think you're funny. It's your shadow side that makes your kids wonder where funny daddy is at night. And we call these shadows, these behaviors, demons. And fighting these demons is what a lot of churches get their fuel with. Revivals and best-selling Christian books and sermons. Come to this series of meetings. Buy this book. Um, Let this guy or gal pray for you and you will defeat the demons. And it doesn't work most of the time. We go right back to it because we've never been healed. We've never experienced wholeness. 
We just experience some duct tape, if you will, on the fragmented life, a little bit of super glue that holds us together for a while. But eventually the emotion runs out, the series ends, the revival services go away, you finish reading the book, and all your fragmented life is still there, and it eventually seeps right back through. Would you like some hope? Yes. Yes, I would, Scott. I want to, I'm, 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 I'm preaching and I'm my own congregation. All right. <laughs> I want to introduce you to a word in this series that's really important. And it's not, a, it's not a big word. It's just a new word for this series. Integration. Integration. That means pulling together, assimilating, combining. It is the opposite of disintegration which is to break down, to tear down, to collapse, to crumble. And living a disintegrated life is another way of saying living a fragmented life or living a divided life and over time a collapsing life. Listen to me very carefully. This this disintegration, this living a divided life, this crumbling life, this is why we are shocked when we hear about a coach or a teacher or a pastor or a politician who presented such a beautiful image in public, but then they're caught in an affair or drugs or soliciting a teenager for sex or abusing their power or committing suicide or whatever. They suppressed and pushed down and covered and hid and faked for a time. They hoped it would go away but it didn't. And eventually what was in the background came to the front. Eventually what was underneath rose to the top. Eventually the walls dividing all these compartments broke down and everything began to bleed into one another. It's just a matter of time. So why do we image manage? Why don't we just come clean? I mean, why don't we just reveal what's true? It all goes back to the garden. We're ashamed. We don't want each other to see our flaws. We don't want one another to make it to, 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 to admit, or we don't want to admit to other people we're vulnerable. Our nakedness. We hide so others won't see. We sow fig leaves, figuratively speaking. We sow fig leaves together. We hide among the trees. We fear the voices looking for us. And this is what God doesn't want for us. And it is why at the very beginning of humanity, emerging, God said, do not attempt to decide what is good and evil by yourself. Do not put people in categories. Do not begin to judge one another and place them. Don't eat from that kind of tree because the fruit of that tree will destroy every single relationship. And relationships are the fabric of humanity. What does God want? He wants wholeness, not fractured living. He wants real friendships, not fake friendships. He wants truth for you, not lies from you. He wants acceptance as is, not rejection if not. 
And deep down, you want that too. So do I. But we keep eating from the wrong tree. We think we can determine good and evil on our own, right from wrong, truth from error. We don't want God to, or others to find us and see that we are not as good as we project. We can handle it all by ourselves, thank you very much. But at the core of our being, I know this about you because I know people and I know myself at the core of our being, we hunger for vulnerability. We want truth. We want honesty. Some of us are so tired of faking it. We're so tired of image management. We're so tired of acting as if we have answers. We're so tired of acting as if we've got great faith or we're spiritually vibrant. We're tired of acting like the marriage is great. We're tired of acting like we've got all these friends and whatever. We're tired of it. But we don't know how to experience authenticity, so we recreate it synthetically. We're going to get really direct for just a moment, then we'll come back out. What I'm talking to you right now about is the reason why the porn industry across our nation and around our world is so common. It's an attempt to recreate what we lost. To see people with no flaws or people so competent with themselves that they don't care about their flaws. Then it is partnered with a mistaken belief that the person on the other side of the screen accepts you for who you are too. It's artificial intimacy. It's synthetic vulnerability. It's an attempt to create a digital garden the one we lost. It's also why the whole Marvel movies have been so popular and packed out across our world, all the heroes. Why? Because they're powerful men and women with special abilities sacrificing themselves to save us. Where do you get that? It's the gospel wrapped up in a movie. I want to be like that. I want someone to come save me like that. I need someone stronger, better. I need someone who has the character to pick the hammer up, right? The pure one. It's a desire to get back to the way it was. It's literally in our blood. It's literally in our DNA. We as a people might deny the existence of the garden, but we can't escape the envy of the garden. So how do we move toward wholeness? How do we move toward it? How do we bring our shadowed side into the light? Well, the worst thing we can do is deny we don't have one. You have a shadowed side. We all do. And under the right circumstances, or worst, our shadow side reveals itself. <laughs> Let's just take a little break mentally and just remember for a moment. How many of you remember the toilet paper crisis during COVID shutdown? Didn't take much for that shadow side to come out, did it? You ever been in the store when people are trying to get the toilet paper and there's only like one pack on the shelf? People were fighting over it, right? 
How about the way people act when a bad call is made at a sporting event and their team's on the line? Doesn't take much for that shadowed side to come out, does it? How about when a coach takes someone's kid out of a game and they think that kid ought to play the whole game? That parent looks great on social media, but not too great on the bleachers right then. Shadowed side. Have you even seen any clips, any clips at all, of the fighting going on in France over the fuel shortages? If you get a chance to check that out, there's people fist fighting at the gas pumps because they can't get fuel, kicking people in the head. I saw one man literally thrown on the ground and two other people kicking him in the head because he took too much fuel in France. Educated, advanced. What about when a hurricane is promised? No milk, no eggs, no bread, batteries, water. At any given moment, our nation is about a pack of toilet paper and a loaf of bread away from complete anarchy. We all have a shadowed side. So where do we begin? Man, this is a series in itself. And I really said all of that to set up this part. Because I want you to see this. And I want to do the best I can for just a few minutes before we go to show you one key. Just one step toward wholeness. The story, I'm not even going to read all this, so I'm just going to tell you quickly. The story is found in John 13. It's one of the most beautiful passages, one of the most beautiful stories. I don't even have time to show you or tell you. I'll save it for a moment. The night before, Jesus was betrayed and turned over to the Roman authorities, ultimately leading to his death by crucifixion. Jesus reserved a room to share a meal with his closest disciples. This was intimate, up close, and personal. No crowds, no miracles, no Pharisees or teachers of the law to interrupt them. This was his final opportunity to pour into these disciples before horrific events would transpire, leaving him in a tomb. They all arrive. Small talk, enjoying the meal that Jesus had got together. They're asking questions, they're listening, they're laughing. They're simply being together. These guys had spent the last three and a half years together. They knew each other very well. They're, they're friends. They love one another. They fight sometimes like brothers, but overall they love one another. They're there for one another. And Jesus is somber. Every word is measured Every comment intentional because he knows exactly what's going to happen in just a few short hours. That at some point in the meal, at just the right time, he got up from the table. He took off his robes, picking up a linen towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. The conversations stop. The room grows eerily quiet. It becomes awkward. 
Why? The image we have of feet washing is more than likely not a reflection of how it actually was. Feet washing in the first century was not something people did because it was, you know, the polite thing to do. Uh, sort of like when you visit a friend's house and you walk in and maybe it's cool and, you know, or cold in the winter and they say, hey, can I have your coat? You give them your coat and they take your coat and they put it somewhere. And then when you leave that evening, they give your coat back. Kind of a polite thing to do. And, you know, it's, it's helpful, but it's just, a, it's just a light thing that they do to help you out. Not that at all. The feet washing was not that. Nor was foot washing relatively clean job, like kind of... You know, I've been to church services before where they had a little foot washing service, you know, and they had a little, little clean water basin would come out and you would sit down and they would kind of splash a little water on your feet, you know, and, and it was kind of the washing service, the foot washing service, more symbolic than actual cleaning of your feet. It wasn't like that at all. Foot washing during first century Palestine was necessary. The roads were filthy. Animals would deposit waste onto the roadways and other animals would track through it and wagon wheels would smash it and push it all over the place. Even if you bathed and perfumed before going to someone's home for dinner, your sandals and feet, again, were filthy when you arrived. And the dining culture often required you to sit on the floor with your feet kind of tucked up behind you, kind of leaning on an elbow, and you would eat with your hands the bread and the dips and all the different things that they would have. So your feet were not too far away from your neighbor's face while they were trying to eat. So when you arrived at a person's home, someone was selected to wash the feces and dirt from your feet and wipe them clean with a towel, possibly even applying perfume so that you would be presentable and comfortable during your meal, and so would other people. That someone was a slave, the lowest member of the household. Now imagine being a slave, washing the feet of five to 10 guests, unsanitary, filthy, after every guest, you have to change the water, add more water because you don't want the dirt from someone else to be on the next person's feet. So you're changing the water, you're adding more water, you're scrubbing someone's feet, you're perfuming someone's feet. And then when you're finished, another person sits down and you do the same thing. And another person sits down and you do the same thing. And another person sits down and you do the same thing. And at the end, you are tired and you are dirty. And when the disciples entered the room that evening for this meal, no slave was present to wash their feet. So more than likely, they just sat down and began to eat a meal. But Jesus interrupted the meal. He took the form of a slave. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began scrubbing the feet of each disciple. Awkward. Listen very carefully. Awkward because unless we've been radically transformed by the grace and love of God, we don't know what to do with dirty people. We export them. We make fun of them. We humiliate them. We ignore them. 
we use them, almost anything except clean them. You want to know how to integrate? You, you want to know how to bring the shadowed side into the light? You want to know how to tear walls down? You want to know how to stop all the divisions and make people feel that it's okay to come out from among the trees? First, we become a servant. We become a servant. We don't wait for somebody else. We do it. Notice Jesus didn't say at the end, toward the end of that meal, uh, how come nobody washed anybody's feet? Who's going to be the servant? Haven't I taught you enough over three and a half years? Haven't I displayed enough servanthood? How come? No condemnation, no guilt. What did he do? He did it. He took the form of a servant. Number two, we accept people as is. Dirt and all. Nastiness and all. How do you think it smelled to Jesus when he got on his knees and he began to wipe those disciples' feet clean? How do you think it felt to him? We accept people as is. Number three, we do what is necessary to remove dirt. We help others bring together their lighted side and their shadowed side. Folks, the older I get, the longer I serve as a pastor, the more I realize that this is what church ought to be about a whole lot more than a lot of other things. I think it is our calling. I think it is, it ought to be at the heart of what we do is to help your shadowed side and your light side come together. Expose what is true about you, but love you even though it's true about you. Reveal who I am to you and let you love me for who I am and all my brokenness and my wholeness. Integration. But there's one more part that's critical to integration. It's a fourth part. I just want to give it to you and then we're going to pray and I'm not going to give you 12 things to do. I'm not even going to tell you what to do. You're just going to have to figure this out on your own. Jesus is washing all these disciples' feet. Watch this. This, this. this to me is so interesting, and I'm so glad it's in Scripture. I'm so glad. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to scrub my feet? My feet are dirty. You're, you're, you're the Lord. You're the master. Those same hands that you want to wash my feet are the same hands that laid hands on people who were dead and raised them up, the same hands that multiplied bread and fish, the same hands that brought wholeness and life and health and healing to so many people. You're going to take those hands and you're going to scrub my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, Peter. You can't comprehend it, but you will understand later. No, Peter said. Oh, Peter, getting his foot in his mouth again, right? Literally. No, you will never wash my feet. 
Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Here's the fourth one, last one I'm going to give you. We go back to the other three that I gave you. We become a servant. We accept people as is. We do what is necessary to remove the dirt. And number four, we let others do the same for us. Folks, that is probably the hardest of all. You see, this is what I've learned about myself. And I'm not saying that it's true about you. It probably is, but I I really know this is true about me. Some of us have no problem cleaning up after others. In fact, the whole thing that I said, you're like, man, I'm tracking with you, I'm tracking with you, I'm tracking with you. That's good. That's what the church needs to do. We need to clean other people's feet. We need to help other people. We need to love other people. Yes, 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 all of it. But here's where we get hung up, the same thing Peter did. It's not that we have a problem cleaning other people's feet, but we have a problem with people cleaning ours. That's where we get hung up. You see, we don't have a problem cleaning them. We just don't want them cleaning us. Sure, sure, your feet are dirty, but, 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 but not mine. Sure, you stink, but not me. Sure, you need help getting clean, but I can handle my own filth. Thank you. I don't have a problem with your dirt. I just want you to know, I don't have a problem with your dirt. I promise you, no matter how dirty you are, I won't judge you, but I can't let you see my dirt because I'm not so sure you won't judge me. This integration, this humbling of ourselves, this revealing of our dirt to one another might be the most difficult path, but I believe with every fiber of my being that this is the path toward church health, and it is the path toward recovery and ultimate growth. Listen, churches do better when platforms are used to confess sins and admit weaknesses rather than promote celebrities and boast of successes. We Christians are much better off when we use microphones to confess our brokenness, our confusion, our lies, and our lust, then we are yelling and preaching and bragging about how much we love God and we're one of his favorites. Revival will be true when we stand in line to wash the feet of one another and let other people wash ours than asking someone to sign a book or buy an album or let the special man of God pray for us. The way up is down. That's the way it's always been. And it's tucked away in the Gospels, but we miss it. We miss it. Pursue wholeness, my friend integration, lighted side, dark side coming together 
truth. Get out of the trees. Hear the voice of God. He wants to love you where you are and his body should love each other too the same way. Let's pray. Father, here we are. Here we are with our brokenness and our sins and our lighted sides and our dark sides and the shadows that we try to hide in. Oh, Father, we still don't believe you. We still don't believe that you will love us where we are. We still are so afraid of one another. The very thing you didn't want for us, we've become. Hiding in the garden, afraid of the voice, running from one another, sowing fig leaves together, destroying relationships, synthetically trying to create intimacy and vulnerability. Oh, Father, teach us. Open our hearts and open our minds and open our souls and teach us. Teach us love, teach us forgiveness, teach us compassion. Teach us to get on our knees and wash the feet of one another and also teach us to sit down in a chair and let someone wash ours. Teach us to integrate, to bring it all together so we stop living so fragmented. We stop living such split lives. Speak into us and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I thought Preston was coming out. You guys have an amazing day. If you are new to Forest Park, make sure you go to the information center and turn in the card that you have filled out. We have a gift for you. I'll be out there in just a moment to meet you, answer questions that you might have.